You don't want money to outperform other productive assets, right? Money is the cost of capital. The things that you're building with the money should return something higher than the cost of capital or the money, or else what are we all doing here? All right, everybody. Today we have a very special guest, my good friend and my co-founder of BlockWorks, Mr. Michael Ibolito. What's going on, Mike? This episode is brought to you by Luca Tax and Exodus. Stay tuned for more info. All right, saving the best guests for uh, 12th, 13th, something like that. Exactly. This is the pristine spot. Everybody knows that. Exactly. Right. You're just leading everyone in, and then it was like, boom, we're going to hit them. uh, Exactly. We were leading up to the I mean, the show might be over after this episode. Yeah. 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 Well... Let's see. We haven't gotten through the the big trends yet. We'll we'll judge at the end of the show. Yeah, we'll see if you can make it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a good good, uh, you know, good dinner last night, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that was really nice. That was pretty romantic. Uh, sitting up on the uh, the deck of a ship in in New York. It's not yeah, bad. Lovely. Um, yeah, I didn't really like it. it. Was like swaying, starting to get a little queasy. You know, a few beers starts getting to you. A few beers. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, the I, I was actually thinking halfway through dinner. I didn't say this, but you know, we did a really rigorous exercise in the. Uh, in playing golf that really took it out of me and that I was starting to think like, am I, you know, am I feeling lightheaded? And then I was just like, no buddy, that's just the ship rocking. (laughs) You need to get back in shape. (laughs) Yeah. That was my big takeaway. That's what I was silently thinking, you know, uh, as we were, as we were eating dinner. That's what I was really, (laughs) I was really focused on. Yeah. I was thinking about the rigorous exercise. That is the sport of hitting balls at Chelsea Piers. So, yeah. You know, I think the last time that we were actually on uh, mics together was, this a long time ago. It was when we were uh, testing recording for uh, Pomp's show in the beginning. Remember, we were doing those Your Mama jokes and just like hysterically <laughs> cracking up, uh, testing out the original mics for that podcast off the chain. Uh, of course. So it's been a while. It has been, been a while. while. It has yeah. been a while. All right, before we jump in, I need your feedback. Whenever, uh, whenever I wear this hat, I'm very torn on this hat. We get, uh, we get like 10 people reaching out saying they want to buy the hat, right? So we've got a big, uh, big list of people who are going to buy some merch, which I haven't told the team yet, but you know, people might buy some merch. But, uh, but Dana, Dana despises it. And every mm-hmm. time I walk up to the recording room, she says, I, I can't believe you're wearing that thing again. So, so what's the honest truth? Give it to me. I mean, do you want the honest truth or do you want what you want to hear? No, I want what I want uh, to hear. Obviously, I want what I want to hear. (laughs) (laughs) I'm biased, man. I'm I'm not a hat guy. I look so bad in hats. I think you look lovely in the hat. We should launch it as a line of merch. All right, amazing. Full steam ahead. All right, great. (laughs) Cool. Should we? You want to jump in? Yeah. Yeah, let's jump in. Let's Uh, do it. All right, the first trend that that you wanted to discuss is the flippening. Hot topic to discuss. ETH, BTC, flipping. Why was this the number one trend that you sent me? So just recently, I think when you think about what are, what is crypto? What is really exciting about crypto? It's an innovation in governance and coordination mechanisms. And there's this really inherent reflexivity to crypto assets where because it's so difficult to gauge fundamentals on stuff like this, and I know that's changing, but for the most part, price becomes really, really important. And the chief assets that a lot of these these protocols have is their community. And one thing that I'm starting to worry about a little bit with Bitcoin is that it's transitioning to a community that you wouldn't necessarily root for over long periods of time. And 
it's really hard to not draw parallels uh, in between the Bitcoin community and the gold bug community. In fact, the ethos is like right to a T, basically the same. And I think, you know, when you look at something like EIP 1159 and that the Ethereum improvement proposal or whatever it is, there's like, you can get into the tokenomics of it. Um, you can get into how it's going to be a more deflationary model. You can get into like all this very technical stuff. But at the end of the day, I think it's just really impressive that this community came together to do this. And in, in my mind, what I'm sort of, the way that I'm sizing these two assets up against one another is what is the strength of the community? And on the one hand, you have Bitcoin and the entire design principle of Bitcoin is that it's supposed to be, you know, almost like stagnant and solid and you can count on it and it's not going to change. And there's value to something like that. But, you know, if it's me, I'm going to bet on the thing that can change and innovate, um, you know, every time. So I think, uh, there's that really important community aspect to it. And then the other thing is Ethereum is just going against a much, much larger total addressable market than Bitcoin is. And if you draw this analogy, you know, someone, I think it was Jameson Lop a while ago, looked at the return of gold versus bonds versus stocks versus commodities versus whatever. Over long periods of time, gold has underperformed everything. And, you know, on Twitter, everyone's like, ha ha ha, see, gold sucks. But I'm looking at that and saying, that's exactly what should happen. Gold is money. You don't want money to outperform other productive assets, right? Money is the cost of capital. The things that you're building with the money should return something higher than the cost of capital or the money, or else what are we all doing here? So Bitcoin to me is trying to be that store of value money, and the st it's a store of value money for this new digital economy. So not only is the total addressable market of Ethereum much larger than Bitcoin, it should outperform Bitcoin. Bitcoin as a hurdle rate should not be so high that you're not investing in more productive actual things. So I think the way this eventually shakes out over like 5, 10, 20 years is I think the ratio of uh, gold uh, to like equities or something like that is probably what Bitcoin is going to be to Ethereum and DeFi. So if I had to guess, I think like the Ethereum DeFi ecosystem is going to be something on the order of like 20 to 50 times larger than Bitcoin. You're trying to get murdered on Twitter here, Mike? <laughs> I don't care, man. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I, I just make sense. It just makes sense when you think about it first principles. And if you're advocating for Bitcoin, you should really start to think about what are you really advocating for here? Because it's, I don't know, a store value bet is not a long-term bet, right? A store value bet is saying, hey, there is some temporary period of time where there's financial oppression and I'm not getting real yield. So instead of actually allocating to like productive things, I'm going to put it into this thing where I'm not losing money. That is not a permanent investment. Otherwise, society as a whole will cease to function. So, you, you know, it's okay to be like, hey, there's this period of time where it doesn't look like, you know, it's not looking great. There's a lot of currency debasement. I want to put my money where it feels safe, but I don't think over great periods of time, it makes much sense. Yeah. All right, on the uh, let's let's pull an Arjun here. Let's start making some predictions already. Um, so you're so you, I mean, bold call twenty five to what did you say thirty or twenty five to fifty times larger uh, than Bitcoin. You know, do you think most of DeFi gets built on top of Ethereum, or are you looking at other projects as well? Like, what what interests you in this space? 
I, I'm not honestly sure that I have an edge yeah. uh, to call anything there. I, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I think, uh, to me, it could go either way. I think the paradigm that you'd look at is like the internet, and you would say, if you go back and look at the internet in its early days, what it said was, we're going to democratize information. And it kind of did do that, uh, but it didn't level the playing field. It actually <laughs> it, it kind of deleveled the playing field, actually, in a lot of ways. And, you know, you hear now, uh, Bitcoin or, you know, crypto is going to democratize finance. And I don't think that's necessarily what's going to happen. It will give access to a lot of people that didn't have access to financial products, but I think there will probably be, gun to my head, a couple big winners. So is that all ETH? Is it ETH plus Solana? Is it ETH plus Solana plus this other thing? I don't know. I, I don't have an edge in calling that, but I, I, it feels right now, if, I guess if you put a gun to my head, I would say, yeah, vast majority of ETH or uh, DeFi goes on hmm. ETH. You want to get into uh, the second thing? Growth of staked ETH? Yeah. So what? So what's the second prediction? Like in 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 one line, what's the the second trend or theme that's happening right now? So one thing that was really interesting to me that I didn't understand was when there was wrapped Bitcoin. Like I I didn't understand fundamentally when I was looking at wrapped Bitcoin what that was, why someone would want to use it. And it, it got me digging around uh, ETH and DeFi a little bit. And there's this fundamental uh, it's almost like economic actor, rational actor problem that's going on in ETH because ETH is moving to a from a proof of work to proof of stake. Um, and most of DeFi is built on top of ETH. And the yields that you can earn in DeFi are much higher than what you can earn staking your Ether and securing that network. So there's this weird problem, right? Where it's like, hey, I could dedicate my Ether to this like pretty risky proposition, right? Of securing the network and I'll get paid back once we move to proof of stake, which is like at some point, hopefully in the future, and the yield is going to be much lower than if I just put it in these yield farms, essentially. And I don't know, in some ways it's more risky, in some ways it's actually kind of less. So basically, you know, there've been a lot of solutions popping up. Like there's this great uh, company called Lido, again, shout out Crypto Cobain, who's uh, one of the co-founders here. Uh, but basically what it allows you to do is it allows you to take that staked ETH and you get a deposit Right, so you, you essentially deposit your your ETH in this protocol. You get this thing back that you can use as ETH, as like collateral, as a credit, and then you can go and take that and earn yield in DeFi as well. So what it allows you to do is it solves the problem of okay, I'm actually securing the network, but also I get access to. I'm not like wasting this. This isn't like some capital inefficient wasted asset that I'm just parking here. You kind of have the best of both worlds, and if you play that out to its logical conclusion and if you say that a bunch of networks are going to move to proof of stake which it looks like they are and all of and this this problem is going to replicate itself many 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 times then what's going to happen is the staked eth or staked whatever is actually the the derivative is going to be much larger than the actual underlying and again if you look at markets and the growth of derivatives as an asset class compared to spot the market size for derivatives, no one even knows how big it is at this point, but it's orders of magnitude larger than the spot market. So I think this will probably be a very popular first level derivative, essentially. And I, the prediction that I had with staked ETH is actually going to be bigger than ETH, but I think that will probably extend to a whole bunch of different other assets as well, as this problem kind of continues to get replicated. So that's interesting. So uh, this kind of derivative using companies and products like Lido the derivative of, of ETH will actually get larger mm -hmm. than ETH. 
the people who are playing around with this right now, is it funds? Is it DeFi retail folks? Who who are you talking to? Yeah, I think it's this? both. So Paradigm took like a huge stake in Lido. Uh, they did, um, I forget what their exact relationship was there, but one, one of the other things too that Lido solves, and I'm not just trying to pump Lido. By the way, I guess I should, I have no interest in Lido. I don't use this product. I just heard about it and I think it's actually really interesting uh, is it solves the problem too of on, if you were to stake directly with the ETH network, you have to do it in multiples of 32. Why 32? I have no freaking idea. It doesn't make any sense. A lot of the like human design elements of ETH, honestly, don't make a lot of sense. But with Lido, you can kind of stake smaller increments as well. So I don't know. Oh, so you don't have to stake 32 is what you're saying? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's kind of both. I think it's kind of both. And who you're, who they're ultimately sort of competing with, I guess, is kind of the exchanges. Like I'm sure you saw probably at Kraken, you know, it's really easy to, to stake. They have the stake, staking as a service thing. There are companies like Staked, which allow you to do this. They're staking as a service infrastructure plays. But what I think would be really cool is if these decentralized network, uh, you know, protocol on-chain solutions like Lido actually ended up working. Like that'd just be cool. I don't know at the end of the day. Yeah. 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 I mean, do you think it, so it kind of feels like the first like 10 years of this stuff was store of value, right? Bitcoin store of value. It kind of feels like the next 10 years are recreating the financial markets. Yeah. You know, offering things like leverage and lending and, you know, things that we've had in the traditional capital markets for hundreds of years. Do you, I know you think a lot about the next 10 years with these financial markets and DeFi. Do you think about past the 10 years? Do we, you know, you remember back in 2017, we used to always go to the conferences and listen to the podcast and people were talking about, you know, decentralized social media and EOS launched and EOS bought like voice.com from Michael Saylor for 30 million bucks, that domain. And they, you know, they wanted to launch this decentralized social media network. I went to the website the other day, totally changed. It's now like an NFT company. Do you think, you know, past these te- the 10 years of like this DeFi stuff, that gets built out, we do end up seeing these consumer applications or what are your thoughts? For, for sure. So remember one line that you and I used to, we've gone through many spiels uh, over the course of Blockworks, but like one thing that, you know, when I'm trying, still trying to explain this to like friends or parents, they're like, well, what is crypto? Like, what is it outside of just this like digital store of value type thing? And imagine the problem of trying to describe the internet and what that was initially going to be in the 90s. There were a lot of ways that you would describe it. And because you couldn't really say, oh, it's this like network of computers that's gonna change the world and infect every part of our business lives. That ended up being right, and some people said that. That's not an effective way to communicate it at the time. So what you ended up doing is saying, it's gonna be used for e-commerce, or it's gonna be used for social networks, or it's gonna be used for whatever, whatever, right? And all of those things were correct. You were just describing use cases of this big underlying paradigm shift. And even think about the time that you and I have been in this space. We got in 2016, 2017. A lot of the exciting things that are going on right now were all being talked about then. And a lot of these like ICOs, I just think they were too early. They had the right idea. They were just way, way too early. So I think some of the exciting things in crypto, like post 10 years or whatever from now, or a lot of the ideas that we're gonna we're talking about now, it's they're just gonna happen at a scale that we couldn't predict because it would just feel too crazy, basically. So I think, you know, I, at the end of the 
I don't know. You, you kind of sound like a nutcase saying a lot of this stuff. But I mean, if you look at. Yeah, but in the same way that you would, you know, you would have sounded like a nutcase in 1996 saying, you know, one day we're going to be sending disappearing pictures to our friends via this little thing in our pocket and calling taxi cabs with and getting in car, you know, in, in taxis with strangers. Right. Yeah. Sound like a nutso. Yeah, you sound like a nutso. I don't know. I guess yeah. like another principle that I, someone said this on a podcast a little while ago, which I'm basically just a walking collection of quotes I hear from podcasts. But, you know, if you look at the direction difference between value investors and technologists, technologists are almost always directionally right, uh, but the, they underestimate the frictions that it takes to get from point A to point B. If you're a value investor, you're essentially betting on those frictions and it taking longer than you think it's actually going to take. But if you look from like a first principle standpoint, DeFi has a better architecture than financial markets. This is like a kind of a, if you really sat down and think about it and were honest with yourself, like from a first principle, the way it's all being built, it's all uh, composable and kind of interchangeable and they work together. That's a better architecture than everything just being built on a cobalt mainframe and one company, the DTCC, just owning every stock. It's like kind of a laughable difference in, in architecture. So it follows that eventually DeFi will be much bigger than traditional financial markets over a period of time. Like how long is that really going to be? I have no idea, but I think eventually it, it certainly will be. I guess the 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 big one that still hasn't really been explored is is uh, DAOs, which we'll talk about later. But um, that that I think is the the big crazy one. All right, guys, it's ad time. I'm gonna let you guys in on a little secret. There's one company that's powering a ton of the crypto data in the space. And by crypto data, basically there's all these uh, companies, traditional financial institutions that need crypto data for you know accounting purposes, for tracking the value of their assets, for running audits, right? And so there's one company, they're called Luka, L-U-K-K-A. I've talked about them on the podcast before. They're powering some of the largest businesses in the world in both the crypto and traditional financial services space. They're the primary pricing source used by S&P Dow Jones indices for their new crypto index. So I want to uh, just throw this out there. If you guys are any sort of business that needs to value crypto assets, create financial statements, uh, perform any sort of normal accounting audit process, you guys should head on over. It's Luka, L-U-K-K-A, Luka.tech, L-U-K-K-A dot T-E-C-H forward slash empire, or just head over to Luka.tech forward slash empire. Tell them I sent you, they'll take care of you. Alrighty, let me know what you think. The other day I posted on Twitter, I said, who's the best entrepreneur? Who's the entrepreneur that everyone should know in crypto, but maybe doesn't know already, right? We're not talking like the mainstream, the super big folks. Who's the best entrepreneur that's kind of under the radar in crypto? God, post went crazy. Got like 300, 400 comments. There was one name that kept popping up, JP Richardson. JP Richardson at Exodus. So I thought, man, that's crazy. Exodus is one of our sponsors. Let me call him out, right? So JP Richardson, CEO of Exodus, done an amazing job building one of crypto's most loved apps. And there's a number of reasons. They got a mobile app, they got a desktop app. You can instantly exchange over a hundred different currencies. They've got interactive charts. Uh, they're fully integrated with uh, the Trezor hardware wallet, so you can always be secure. So if you're looking to buy crypto, if you're looking to just get away from just buying one or two currencies, you want to explore other things, go to exodus.com forward slash empire, or just search Exodus in the uh, App Store or Play Store. Check them out. 
shoot me a DM on Twitter. Let me know what you thought. Go follow JP Richardson. Go check out Exodus. All right, exodus.com forward slash empire. The third one that you sent me is RIAs will allocate to Bitcoin. Yeah. I had the chance to speak with uh, some folks at Galaxy and BitGo down at the conference this past week. They, Galaxy is, I think, one of the two, it's Galaxy and Nidig are the two providers for Morgan Stanley's business. Mm. I think Morgan Stanley has, I think the number that they gave me, Morgan Stanley has 2,400 salespeople who primarily sell to financial advisors and RIAs, which is just a staggering amount. 800 of the 2,400 people have already gone through a Bitcoin specific training where it's Bitcoin 101, it's how to buy Bitcoin through Morgan Stanley. It's the difference between Galaxy and Nidig. I, I, to me, this one is still the, the biggest no brainer of all time for like multiple reasons. So we just talked about if I had asked you, hey, what's more exciting, uh, 5% of, you know, f- uh, funds allocating to Bitcoin or, um, or RIAs moving into the space, you'd probably say funds just because the heuristic like, oh, hedge funds, they're like have a lot of money. I think hedge funds globally are a $2 trillion asset class. Uh, just in the United States, $4 trillion of wealth is controlled by RIAs. So you're talking about actually a sizable pool of capital. They are natural buyers of this stuff because at the end of the day, most RIAs, like the majority of what you're doing is your financial planning for either wealthy individuals or not so wealthy individuals. And guess what? When this, this, your retail clients start telling you, why do I not have Bitcoin? Guess what? You are gonna move to find a way to allocate Bitcoin. I think the other thing that's so bullish about RIAs is one of the big things that's precluding RIAs from allocating is just a technical thing, which is they have all these deep, they have no way to get paid for recommending that their clients allocate to Bitcoin because usually the way that RIAs take their fee is a percentage of what they're managing on behalf of their clients, right? And the way they do that is they plug into brokerages like TD Ameritrade or uh, Charles Schwab or whatever. And they're like, okay, this is how much uh, I'm managing on behalf of my clients. Here's my fee. It's all automated. Boom, boom. If you're like, hey, you should allocate some money to Bitcoin, then they have to take that money, move it onto Coinbase, buy it there. It doesn't work with their system. So the reason I'm so bullish on the RIA space overall is because once that gets fixed and it will get fixed because it's a technical problem, or there's an ETF, which would fix it basically overnight, there's going to be a ton of money that moves into this space. So that one is still... That one is still huge, and I think on track. All right, let's jump to number four. DAOs will emerge as the end of 2021 bull run narrative. All the narratives were correct in the internet. They were just too early. All right. Break down the DAO thesis for me, Mike. Okay. So it's exactly what we were just saying before. All of the early narratives of the internet, many, many of them were actually correct. They were just too early. So... If you look at that thesis, then a lot of what is being successful right now in crypto, arguably DeFi and NFTs, you can argue if NFTs are really successful right now. Um, these were all old ideas and it's just taken a little while to get implemented. Uh, DAOs are particularly interesting because they arguably have the biggest total addressable market in all of crypto. DAOs are decentralized autonomous organizations. So they're basically uh, complex, if-then statements or smart contracts that kind of perform the function of companies. And you could look at the function of some companies as being so simple that it's kind of like, do you really need any human performing that task? And as you move to a more and more digitally native environment, you're going to start saying, actually, I'm not really sure we need 
a human involved in this process at all. And the reason why I think that they're going to be the hottest thing at the end of this particular bull run is because in bull runs, the assets that do the best are the ones that have not the worst fundamentals, but like are the furthest ones in the future, like the biggest swings, right? Like everyone starts getting really, really excited about like, what's that next thing going to be? Like if you look at the overall course of crypto, its trajectory, you know, if you look at Bitcoin dominance as a... Uh, you know, as a metric in bear runs, it goes way up because everyone's like, ooh, all these altcoins is like way far in the future. Like, what were we all thinking here? And then and during bull runs, Bitcoin dominance goes way down because everyone's like, you know what, man, this is the future. And uh, this stuff is coming around the corner tomorrow and I'm going all in. So usually it's the assets that do really well in the bull runs that are actually furthest out. So because DAOs, when everyone understands them, they'll understand how big of an addressable market they are but how technically difficult they are and how far off they'll be, they are gonna be the ones that end up doing super well. And I think it'll be the narrative at this eventual blow off top that ends up like catching the most steam, basically. What do, what do you mean by they though? Who's the they here? Like when you say like DAOs will end up doing really well, is this, is this a, like, like in my mind, what I hear is companies will end up doing well. Companies that are structured as DAOs, but it sounds like you're talking about some sort of like uh, they're they're almost like a different asset class. Like they're, they're, there's going to be tokens associated with the DAOs. What, what do you mean? Yeah, I think this? it's I think it's tokens associated with DAOs. Like it's probably like governance tokens, right? And it's the tokens that are associated in the governance because I my understanding of how DAOs are going to would theoretically be structured is that there are these smart contracts, but you still you know changes need to get made. And how do you make the changes? There, are, you know, you have people will have ownership in the tokens, and you can vote on things and make changes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I think what, what if we're actually pointing to like an asset class, I think it is the, the governance tokens of DAO projects that will end up mm -hmm. absolutely ripping at the end of this cycle. Interesting. If this cycle is not over, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please, please. Please, if, uh, please. please. If, um, if that really does happen, another kind of secondary impact that, that will be good to watch for is the projects and tools um, and products that are built out around DAOs. Like when I hear governance tokens and I hear a lot of people needing, you know, either working at or for, or I don't even know the right term to describe it, DAOs, what you're going to need is a way to actually use these governance tokens to vote, right? Like I, I don't know, I'm less technical than, some, than an engineer. Therefore, I don't know where to plug in with these DAOs. So it'd be really nice if someone like, Blockfolio, something that I use, could just turn on away. So they, they say, oh my God, you own a thousand of these DAOs. There's a big vote coming up. You can vote through Blockfolio. But maybe it's through the existing products or maybe it's through brand new products that support it. But for entrepreneurs listening, like that could be an interesting opportunity. I completely agree. I think that whole field is going to be completely evergreen. There's going to be yeah. so much opportunity there. Yeah. Um, anything else with DAOs that you want to talk about? Are there any no, DAOs right really. now that you're looking at? No, not really. I just think uh, this one feels like it, just a gut sense for me. Um, that's how that's how these big cycles tend to finish off. Like if you look, if if you're going back and looking at uh, bull markets in crypto, they almost they I think to a T end with a big blow off top. So that that would that's kind of good evidence, hopefully, to, that we're not currently in a, in a bear market. This would be a really weak 
blow off top. And despite how crazy Miami looked, I don't think that was, I don't think the euphoria index, you know, personally in the industry is high enough yet uh, for that to be the case. And if you looked at the best performing assets in the last insane blow off top, it was the one that kind of had the least good fundamentals that were associated with them or had like the farthest off kind of craziest ideas. And that's why I think, and not that those projects were wrong. I'm not picking on any projects. I, I'm just saying the ones that almost were like so far ahead of their skis and raising on such a big idea. Uh, and I think to me, the category that makes the most sense for that right now is just DAOs. You want to jump into the fourth? Uh, I guess this, this is the fifth um, prediction now or the fifth trend yeah. that's going on. Uh, you uh, you messaged me, alts will cease trading just like, quote, high, bit, high beta Bitcoin. It used to be that Bitcoin yeah. was the only way you could buy alts. And you sent me a pretty long note here. So why is this why is this one of the seven biggest trends right now? What is it and why is it? So so I'll tell you the, the framework that I used to have for it and now the framework that I'm kind of starting to develop. Uh, so the framework that I used to have is, if, is basically like a risk curve. This still like kind of works. So if you look at the risk curve in traditional markets, it kind of starts off like treasury securities are honestly like gold at the very base. And then everything else like kind of trades up from there, right? So you get kind of, uh, you know, like investment grade debt and then like high yield debt and then like value stocks and then like uh, risky tech stocks. And then like it kind of goes up and up and up and every layer out along the risk curve, it just requires, investors require another layer of risk basically that they're taking. So they demand higher returns. Uh, and I think that for a long period of time, crypto is such a small asset class that you could basically just look at crypto or Bitcoin and then everything else uh, there was like ETH, which was the next step up. And then there was kind of everything else grouped in one bucket, which was just like, that's crazy. And if Bitcoin's going up, the reason I kind of call it high beta Bitcoin is because if ETH or Bitcoin goes up 10%, then these things are going up 100%. And if, uh, you know, Bitcoin goes down 10%, it's kind of the same thing. But the reason I think that might be changing and why I think it would be interesting if that would be changing is because if you look at the trading pattern between Bitcoin and ETH recently, that hasn't actually been how it's been functioning. Uh, it's been kind of bucking that trend. And a lot of really smart people that I pay attention to and follow are watching this ETH to BTC ratio, and it's been creeping up, even as Bitcoin, which has been, has been falling, which is really interesting. And I think the other thing as well, that was like a little bit of a light bulb moment for me is the explicit stated purpose of many of the funds and very sophisticated investors in this space is to outperform Bitcoin. So if you think about it from that lens, then if like I'm a fund like three arrows capital, if I'm going risk on, then I'm moving into alts. And if I'm going risk off, then I'm moving into Bitcoin, right? Because my base, my base case, the, the thing I'm comparing myself to is, is Bitcoin. So in that dynamic, you actually have uncorrelated or, you know, a very different performance between alts and Bitcoin. So I think that could be very interesting. And then the, the last thing that I mentioned to you is Bitcoin. The reason why the ETH, the flipping is so interesting is because it used to be that if you wanted to buy alts, you had to buy Bitcoin first. And that made Bitcoin like a really important store of liquidity. Like a big function of Bitcoin was that it's this liquid trading pair between all of the other alts. And it's this pathway. If you want to move into the crypto ecosystem, you got to go through Bitcoin to go to these other things. Now, stable coins have grown from 5 billion in market cap to 100 billion. And it creates this interesting 
thing where you can move into stable coins and then directly into other alts and you can skip Bitcoin, uh, which is just interesting. So that's why it also kind of wrecks that relationship of just uh, altcoins being high beta Bitcoin. So wouldn't that, is it, is it a big enough move to actually hurt Bitcoin's liquidity? I think it could, I think it could be. Yeah, if it, if it, if it kept, mm. if it kept happening. And also like, I mean, you know, we've been talking to people on the institutional side that are only looking at ETH uh, and going down the, the coin market cap top five or 10 or whatever. So it's not inconceivable anymore that institutions will allocate outside of Bitcoin and might not even take a position in Bitcoin, yeah. which is pretty yeah, interesting. Crazy. I mean, that, so I met with a big fund manager in, in Miami that I was telling you about, right? A year ago, you know, got hundreds of millions in assets under management, big institutional, you know, big institutional clients, pensions, hospitals. A year ago, I think it was 12 and a half months ago, he calls the LPs. He goes, I'm moving 10% of the fund into crypto, right? This was into, into Bitcoin, moving 10% of the fund into Bitcoin. They, they, you know, they bitch and they whine and they, they say, fine, 10%, that's fine. Six months ago, he calls them. He goes, I'm moving 50% of the fund into crypto. You know, two of them actually pull out. Three weeks ago, he calls them. He goes, we're moving 100% into crypto. I've never seen an opportunity like this in my entire life. Oh, also, I'm selling all the Bitcoin. I'm moving into ETH and DeFi. Just crazy. Just crazy. Yeah, man, it's nuts. It's nuts. Um, so, all right. The other, uh, another trend that you called was exchanges are going to consolidate over the next two years. Yeah. I mean, Miami was insane. FTX basically took over the conference or at least the conference parties and, and, uh, half happy hours. I mean, so far exchanges have been the, the killer business model of crypto, yeah. right? Yeah. So you think that there's consolidation over the next two years? I would assume that, that you think that means that. Is this in a bull market or bear market, there's consolidation? I think it will have to be, yeah, for two reasons, which is just one, uh, I think you can look at the analog of financial markets. And if you look at the at the US, there are like 10 major exchanges. Most of the volume is like consolidated across two or three. Uh, and also the thing about crypto is that there are very different regulatory jurisdictions. And then there's also, you have to pre-fund every trade. So if you're looking for like, if you're an institution or you're a sophisticated investor, you wanna get best execution. And then if it's like, I want to trade on all these different exchanges, I have to pre-fund my account at all of those exchanges. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work for anyone. Uh, so liquidity ended up getting fragmented uh, and it's just a super inefficient thing. Uh, so I don't know, the exchange business model, I'm not really sure it lends itself to super, super intense network effects, but there definitely is some kind of network effects when it comes to liquidity. So it just kind of makes sense. I think it's all going to barbell and these things are either going to get acquired or they're just going to fail. I think a lot, and I think a lot of them, a lot. It's just tough to see them failing in the short term because of how much money they're, they're just printing out right now. I know. It's just like, I just don't think over long, long stretches of time, it makes sense for the, for there to be this many exchanges. This is kind of no, one no, of those I mean, like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. But. yeah. So, so Sam on stage, uh, Sam Bankman freed on stage. And, you know, the uh, Bitcoin conference in Miami was talking with Caitlin Long and he said that an, a really interesting thing to look out for. He said, look, I'm really biased. I run FTX, but 
every trader out there should be looking and you know feel comfortable with using multiple exchanges like not one or two but like three four five because as you know u.s regulators and politicians and you know kind of the people in power in the states understand that crypto is here to stay what they're going to do is they're going to get in bed with folks and you've already seen it kind of with coinbase already like they're pretty in bed with the regulators and they had a massive regulatory moat early on in 2013 and I think that could be one of the reasons you start to see some of this consolidation is if the regulators give big moats, regulatory moats, to maybe two, three, four, five exchanges, the other exchanges realize they can't win, and then they just buddy-buddy up and merge with the other, you know, or get acquired by the other big ones. I couldn't, I, th I think the regulation actually could be a catalyst. For sure. I mean, that's how the existing financial services uh, system works. It's like completely built on regulatory capture and licensing and regulate like that that is that is the exactly. advantages that banks exactly. have so in a way i guess that's like good for those you know i would i would buy coinbase right now um i mean i did don't want to talk about it um didn't get any great price <laughs> off the top <laughs> yeah top tick that um, top tipped on that one top tipped uh but you know yeah i i i think that the big ones are going to be fine and they'll be good yeah um, all right, the next uh, big trend. Is this our last trend? Seventh trend? Yeah. Under yeah. Collateri collateralized lending will become the next hot thing. Yes. So overall, one of the really interesting things about crypto is they've been working on how to design an anti-fragile system as opposed to the existing financial system, which is ultra, ultra fragile. Um, and one of the ways that they've been doing that is when it comes to lending, the dynamic is that you essentially over collateralize every single loan uh, that takes place. And actually one of the cool things about crypto, just from like a cultural ethos thing is that it's built on uh, permissionless trust and not necessarily trusting other people, which is whatever, but it's actually kind of a good thing. You kind of want that out of a, out of a financial system. It's an interesting design choice. So you have all these uh, loans because they're based on volatile assets and they have to be way over collateralized. In some senses, this is actually quite good. It makes the system very robust. We're able to withstand 50, 80, 90% drawdowns, right? And the system doesn't necessarily break and there's no Fed to step in and everything keeps functioning. On the other hand, it makes things very capital inefficient. And I think what you're going to start to see is companies work on the equivalent of a FICO or a credit score or something like that. Um, and I, th I think there actually are companies, maybe they're already doing this, but... Basically, what they're going to do is they'll, they'll figure out a way based on reputation management and it'll be through some decentralized Oracle system or something like that, where uh, you essentially get assigned your version of FICO just in crypto. And then you're going to be able to access credit without over collateralizing every loan by like 150% or whatever you have to do now. So I think that is going to be a really big and interesting area. Uh, which yeah. might get built during the, the bear market, actually. You, you remember? Uh, you, you remember who was working on this in 2017? Yeah, you remember Bloom? Oh, is that what Bloom was doing? Bloom, yeah, that's what they were mm. working on. I'm, yeah. I'm telling you, there's a lot of these 2017 projects that you know <laughs> they all went belly up, but four or five years later, you know, this year, next year, the exact same ideas. Are coming to market the technology is just a lot better and the capital's there too and the entrepreneurs and the and the builders have actually come into the space so you know some uh 
Electric Capital, Avi uh, Avicho Garg came on and he said this thing, which just like really stuck with me, which is that crypto hasn't had its iPhone moment yet. And if you look at like the killer, like Uber or something, ride sharing is actually a big idea pre iPhone never worked because the missing thing was this piece of hardware, which was like a remote control to your world. And the, as soon as everyone had smartphones and iPhones, which no one predicted, then all these things that weren't feasible before suddenly became feasible. So I don't know what that's going to end up being for crypto, but yeah, there's probably going to be some pretty cool stuff on the horizon, but yeah, <laughs> I guess it sucks if you were too early. Uh, yeah. All right, buddy. This was good. Seven trends. I think we did all right with our prediction six months ago. I'm sure we'll be like one for seven here, but we got them out. I think they're pretty good. Yeah, we got them out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. All right, we'll look back in uh, two years and be like, what were we thinking? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Um, cool. All right, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everyone at the end of, uh, end of the podcast, which is um, what is one like big challenge or thing that you're – thinking about these days that's just kind of like consuming your mind i think that the big thing that i worry about is i like we talk about this all the time i am a student of like i think the fourth turning is a thing i do look at these like transitional periods in human history and and like if you look at ray dalio's like big debt crises and stuff like that it seems like we're going through this big transition phase right now and I think what I hope is that it all ends up being okay. We figure out a way to like restructure things and like get past this in like an equitable kind of way. And I think crypto ends up playing a big role in that. Uh, and what I hope doesn't end up happening is some sort of like war or something like that. Not to get all dark and weird on you here, but like I think that that I spent a lot of time. <laughs> I spent a lot of time <laughs> thinking about that. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, consumes. I don't know if that's the scale that you were asking that question, but that's. I spent a lot of my time. <laughs> spent a lot of your time <laughs> thinking about, about the next civil war in the United States. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a yeah. little bit. Um, all right, we're gonna wrap it up. With, I'll ask you one more question. How many podcasts do you listen to a day? <laughs> oh, you know the answer. To <laughs> I listen. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I the honest answer is I, I listen to three very actively. And then probably like three more, which is just like osmosis as I'm doing work. So probably like five to six. A day. So just so just to confirm, we're looking at like five six podcasts. A day. Five six pods a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. All right, you're ridiculous. All right, this has been awesome, man. Um, I will uh, talk to you in our meeting uh, in thirty minutes. All right, buddy. So. Yeah. Talk to you soon. <laughs>